Good evening, lovely people. It is Sunday, December 4th. The Lopes are coming off an undefeated week and are looking to keep that momentum during a five-game stretch in the friendly confines of the Valley of the Sun. I'm looking forward to this one, and I hope you are too, because another episode of Win the Whack 2.0 starts now. Joining me this evening, as always, a back-to-back Arizona high school top 32 tennis player, Phoenix Christians 2016 most likely to become a billionaire, Zach Cecil. How you doing, Zach? I'm doing great, Connor. How are you? Are you a billionaire yet? Uh, no, I actually decided to become uh, a school teacher, and so I don't think I ever will be, but that's okay. Hey, hey, you know what? You're uh, you're teaching the youth of America. You're You're leading the next generation. And I think that's honorable. Appreciated. Not that you couldn't do that with a, a billion dollars, but I, I could, I could, but that's okay. Um. <laughs> so, what you got for us to start out, Zach? Well, the Grand Canyon University Antelopes men's basketball team played two games this week, and they were both very stressful. And we should that talk is, about them. That is true. Um. Did you watch both of them live? I did. Okay. I was only able to watch the Alcorn State game live. I was driving home from a basketball trip on Saturday during the Wyoming game, so I missed that one, but I actually just watched that one tonight. So before we get into those, actually, Zach, I wanted to start a new segment for the podcast, okay? Is this Great. okay with you? I haven't I haven't ran this by you. Is okay. it okay? Oh, no, no. Okay. Fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're rolling. All right. Go for it. We're going to call this segment Questionable Scenarios with Connor. I love it. All right. Okay. So basically this is like a, would you rather or a pick one kind of situation? And okay. I, I'm really, I'm really intrigued to hear what you have to say about this. Okay. Okay. Here we go. The Lopes win the next five conference championships and go undefeated at home during that same stretch. The Lopes are guaranteed at least one elite eight appearance and three sweet 16s in that same stretch. But you have to serve a year as a Somali pirate. You could get shot. (laughs) You could get sick. You could also get arrested. The only guarantee is that you will not die on the high seas. Or your other choice is the Lopes lose out of the WAC tournament in the first round every year for the next five years and lose every game they play against Cal Baptist since New Mexico State is leaving the conference. What do you think? All right. Hot take. Yeah. I'll be a Somali pirate. I don't think it'll be that bad. Do I get to keep the money I get from being a Somali pirate? Like Like, I said, you could get arrested. So, I mean, I guess guess if you keep the money, then you're putting yourself into, yeah. Well, if I got to like go into hiding afterwards for like the rest of my life, it's probably not worth it. But like realistically, I mean, like think, all right, think about like the game plan for the Somali pirates, right? They don't want to draw attention to themselves. Like, right. They're not in the business of like killing people. It, they don't want to do that. Right. If there's, if they start killing people, they start drawing attention. They're going to have a problem. So they just want to take the stuff. So I could do that. I think. They're not trying to kill anybody. It's right? funny to me that you say they want to keep a, a low profile because the only thing I think of when I think of Somali pirates is dudes just holding AKs on speedboats. Yeah, no, so, that's exactly what it is. 
that's that's totally right. But like, all right, you raid like some supply ship, okay? If you kill the crew, the country's gonna be mad and they're gonna like send an army at you. And so they don't do that, right? They like don't kill you. What if what if there was a little bit of contention between you and the pirates that you've joined? What if they like don't really wanna make you one of their own? Oh man. So like because that's that's a scenario that I could see playing out in this in this questionable scenario with Connor. I show up and then I have to like do an initiation. Either that or you make or they make you go it alone and they're they're kind of like competition for you. Oh, so like if I get rejected by the Somali pirates, I just still have to do it by myself. I mean, you have to do it for a year. Oh man, that's the stipulation, man. Well, well when you say like like. Can I be bad at it? Like, can I be like, oh, I almost got that ship. Like, <laughs> can I not do it very well for a year? Like, oh, I was, I was totally going to get that ship. But then, like, but then, like, I was watching the new Stranger Things episode and I just totally forgot. That sounds to me content. like you're not giving a full effort. And I, to be I, I, a Somali pirate, you got to give a full after, effort for it, man. man. All right. All right. Are you still going to do it? Yeah, I'm going to do it. It'll be fine. Okay. Yeah, I think I would too. If if I could do it with you, then I would do it. But yeah, I don't know about by myself. <laughs> so that was questionable scenarios with Connor. I hope you guys enjoy that and uh, let us know if you uh, if you have an answer for us on Twitter. Anyways, let's get into the uh, the games from this week. We talked about Alcorn State. What do you have to say about that game? Well, we we came out really hot, and then the next. 15 minutes of the game made me really sad. And then we closed out kind of strong. Um, I don't, I guess like, I don't know what to say other than this was a perfect encapsulation of the big question mark I have about the Lopes, which is, can they be consistent? And what this game showed me is that they're the most inconsistent team on planet earth, followed by a game where they were actually incredibly consistent. So, uh, I don't know how much to read into that, but there were definitely some some takeaways, I think. What what are your thoughts on this game? So like you said, we started out really hot. Uh, 75% from the field in the first, I want to say, eight minutes or so. Or no, probably 12 minutes, because we were up 38 to eight with uh, eight minutes left on the first half clock. Wow. Um, obviously, 75% is unbelievable. You take that and run every time. And I think that's kind of what the Lopes did, you know, came out, had a 30 point lead through halfway through the the first half. And um, I don't know, it seemed like after that, they started relying on hot shooting. They started relying on on the three point shot. Another thing that I noticed as well, maybe a little tactical um, tactically was Alcorn State was kind of playing full court zone. For the first yeah. 12 minutes of the game went during that hot streak. And I think the Lopes really exposed him there. Well, they dropped yeah. out of the full court and all of a sudden it seemed like momentum started to swing. The tide started to turn. Alcorn was able to get back in the half court defensively and maybe defend um, deep shots a little bit better, close out a little bit harder and, and, and stay on the floor. Well, I, I just think, However, GCU did rely a little bit too much on that, and then they kind of went cold. It was kind of like a replay of the first half of the Montana State game for the middle half of this game. 
Yeah. Yeah. It definitely, I, I, and part of it too is like when you, when you go up 38 to eight on a team, especially a team that you're pretty heavy favorites against, it can be easy to take the foot off the gas. And I also think that, and this is the one thing about like, this is true. I think in every sport, when you get in a situation like that and you take the foot off the gas, it's hard to like bring it back. So like if you start and then they come back, it's hard to get back in the right mindset of like, I know we've just been messing around and, or maybe not messing around is the right word. Coasting, I think is a good word. Coasting. They've been coasting. Right. And it's time to not coast anymore. It's hard to make that change. Um, now the Wolves did um in the last seven minutes of the game, but we went from up 38 to eight early on, right? Started coasting with seven minutes left in the game. Alcorn tied the game. So they cut a 30 point lead, a 38 to eight lead to a tie game with seven minutes left in the second half. It took them about 21 minutes of game time to do that. Yep. Yeah. I'm actually, I actually have that game on right now on my TV. I kind of got an eye on it. And, uh, Right now, we've passed the point where they've tied it up and GCU's kind of taking control of the game again. But yeah, I just I noticed another thing tactically was when GCU started to take the lead back late in the second half, it seemed like Alcorn had gotten back into full full court pressure again. And I'm yeah. curious, obviously, I haven't watched any other Alcorn State games. Did you go to the game where they played against ASU. Uh, I did not. Did you you watched it though? Mm, a little bit of it, not okay. super close. ASU was kind of blowing them out. Okay, gotcha. Well, I'm just I'm just curious if that's something that they typically do is is play full court because I mean even right now I'm watching it. Um, they're in the full court, um, and GCU's getting easy looks off of it. And I'm yeah. just our our guys were I would say you know GCU's roster is more athletic. But something yeah. that I did notice is during that stretch, that 21 minutes where they cut the lead from 30 down to a tie. I mean, I was texting you. I said, Alcorn State's a better team than GCU. Um, yeah, we we now, both now, thought when they tied the game with seven minutes left, we both thought we're going to lose this game. Yeah, I, I texted you. We're going to lose. We're going <laughs> to lose. We were up by 30 points and we're going to lose the game. <laughs> um, but But here's the thing. I saw some really promising stuff from Alcorn State defensively, really um, denying passes, even dribble handoffs. They were denying really hard. Um, they were sticking to our guys uh, really well. They were they were helping really quickly. It, it was it was really impressive to see them defensively. They looked very um, disciplined on on the defensive co- uh, side of the court during that yeah. twenty one minutes, and then they also got hot, not as hot as we were in that first. 12 minutes of the game, but they definitely looked like they were just about to take the driver's seat and GCU kind of weathered the storm a little bit, but still, I don't, I, I just don't know how to read into this game. I do yeah. think that they're a quality yeah. team. I don't think they're a great team. And I honestly don't think that they're going to win their conference this year. What's funny is this game actually went pretty close to what I had said it was going to be on the podcast as far as final scores go, but it did not in any way play out like that. Um, yeah. I think I said last week, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty close and we win by like five to 15. And I think what we won by eight, but yeah. Um, 
going up 30 like i i when we went up 38 to 8 i felt like oh this game's just over and we're going to we're going to win by 50 um so i was really surprised to see them come back i and it, this i think this is we we've seen this three times i i've seen something three times that this gcu team has done that i don't know that i could ever trust a a, a dan marley led gcu team to do and that is this team has a certain level of like grit or like mental toughness. I think we saw it in the Montana state game. We saw it in this game and we definitely saw it in the Wyoming game. Yeah. I, which I is, think, like, I, yeah, I think mental toughness is when a very appropriate start, way to say it. Yeah. When things start to get hard, the team buckled down, they slowed down the pace and they took good possessions. And in Montana state game, when they went down by 19, in the Alcorn game when they came back and tied the game, and in the Wyoming game when they came back and tied it late. In all three of those games, we saw the Lopes had to take a reset, slow down, take a lot of time off the shot clock on offense, and get good shots. And I saw them do that in a way that I I don't know that I've seen previous GCU teams be able to do that. Absolutely. And uh, I will say this, like the Montana State game, the Alcorn State game during that stretch where we were really struggling, um, and they were they were hot, they were good defensively. I only saw a couple possessions where they really dominated us defensively, where we weren't able to get a good look at the basket during possessions. But for the most part, it seemed like we were getting shots at the rim. Some things that I was frustrated with was I thought Odriogo had his common challenge of controlling the basketball down low, which is a bummer. Um, I saw us take some shots close to the rim that typically we're going to make. And, you know, even some of them airballed and it's just really discouraging when you're not seeing the ball go in, especially when you did see the ball go in very frequently and often in the first part of the game. Um, However, I do think in in that final stretch where you know we had to face that adversity when we when they had come back and tied the game, I think the Lopes did a great job of finishing at the hoop, and when we finish at the basket, well, we're going to be in good shape. Yeah. Some things yeah. from that game is a GCU shot. Even though we we went seventy five percent in that first twelve minutes, like I said went very cold for the next 21 minutes of the game. We still ended up with 51% from the field, um, 60% from two point and 47 from three point, which wowzer, that's still really good. Yeah. Yeah. Our shooting, our shooting slash lines from that game is crazy. Um, but it was just like, it felt like there were moments in the game where we were shooting out of our minds. And then I felt like there were moments in the game where Alcorn was coming back and we were out of control and making like weird or bad decisions. Um, we were we were taking a lot. This is uh, I, for those of you that are also Phoenix Suns fans. Uh, I like to call them Cameron Payne shots. Um, we were taking a lot of campaign shots, which like are just shots that are not in rhythm. And I, I think when it when a team is doing well. When a team is playing at the tempo they want to play at, they take in-rhythm shots. And when they get agitated, they don't take in-rhythm shots. And I think what we see is the Lopes shot really well overall. But they, they I'm sure if you broke it down into the first 12 minutes of the game and the last seven minutes of the game, 
I'm sure they're shooting shot. Uh, man, this is words are hard. I'm sure the shot quality was much better. Yeah, no doubt. Something that I really, I don't know if I'm concerned about it as of right now, because this is the only, I guess, game where we've had this situation, except for, I guess you could count the the Montana State game, but I don't think it kind of qualifies for this status as much. You know, basketball games, um, college, NBA, even high school to some degree, they're all about runs, okay? Very rarely are you going to have a basketball game where it is back and forth tight the entire game. Now, those are the best games, right? But for the most part, basketball is a game of runs. And typically, you know, your runs aren't going to last 21 minutes. And so I'm curious to see if this becomes a a common thing for the GCU um, basketball program, at least this year, is when teams get on a run, are we going to be able to, to stymie them or are we going to let that run extend longer than it needs to be? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and Wait, there's no way of one. answering right now, but we did get a good good view of of possibly what we would like to see in the Wyoming game where, you know, it was a game of runs, smaller runs, uh, albeit, but I, I don't know. I think GCU did a great job in the Wyoming game of of stymieing the the pressure of, of an opponent who's, you know, trying to make a comeback. So I guess, I don't know. What do you think? I think so too. I think that like in that Wyoming game, man, I'm trying to find, there was a moment in that game where I want to say we were up in the second half by six points and Wyoming hit back to back threes. No, I found it. All right. We were up 47 to 44. This is 10 minutes left in the game. And Wyoming hits a three. We immediately go down and take a Cameron Payne three. Miss. They get a rebound. Come right back down and hit another three. So they have six points in 40 seconds to go from down three to up three. And I remember I tweeted and I thought we're like, this is where the wheels fall off the bus and GCU loses by 15. Like in the Nevada game this year in the Nevada game last year, in countless games over the past five years that I've seen, this is in that moment, 10 minutes left in the game, Nevada gets a run, that run just ends the game, right? And and I've seen that run end the game, especially on the road. Really, we're really bad about containing runs on the road. And when Wyoming got that run, um, the next thing we did on the very next possession is we took the entire shot clock. We just dribbled around for 30 seconds and got a really good shot, made a lot of passes. And I was really impressed because I thought like, this is where we like start making bad decisions and then they blow the game out. And then three minutes from now, we're down by 12 and it's just over. And we didn't do that. We didn't do that. And I was really impressed. Yeah, really impressed. That that was a great game, the Wyoming game. Um, last thing I have to say about the Alcorn State game, and I guess it kind of comes with a question. Do we need to treat this game like an outlier? Like, do we need to act like, okay, GCU, yeah, obviously you struggled for 21 minutes in this game, but you were better for the 19 minutes where you, you know, were being successful than they were in those 21 minutes that they had. And do we just say, you know what? It's going to happen sometimes. It's a basketball game. 
you know, you're projected to win the game, but you never you never know what's going to happen on the court. So that's why you play the game. Do we treat it like an outlier? I'm going to say no. I, I don't think we do. Um, I think I think what we saw is um, a game that like winning that game by eight points is not telling of how great we played for the first run in that last stretch but also not telling of how terribly we played. And so I think I think what we don't want to do is just say, oh yeah, the Lopes are eight points better than Alcorn. I don't think it's fair, but I, I don't think we can treat it as an outlier because I think it encapsulates a problem that exists, which is we are a really streaky team, which GCU has often been a streaky team, but we're a streaky team that has a hard time, um, that has a hard time dealing with when the other team makes runs. We make sure. runs and our runs are crazy, especially at home. When we, you know, especially for for a team that isn't like a power conference team that doesn't have, you know, as many fans as we do at, at games. When the Lopes go from like a, a tight game to like up eight and 6,000 fans are like singing a song just like as loud as possible in there. Like listen to your heart. Yeah. And so like when that happens, it's hard to like deal with that for, for an opposing team. But what happens is when the other teams make runs, we are slow to respond. And I think I think in this game in particular, we were more slow to respond than in other games. But I also think, and, and I look, and this is complete speculation on my part. I imagine that that's a conversation that was had among the coaches and the players after this game. And I, I wonder if that played a role in how well GC was able to respond to Wyoming and, and their inability to make runs. And whenever they, it seemed like they started to make a run. We just, we, we really slowed it down. I, I wonder if that's, if that's the case. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, a couple of things that I've noticed over the last couple of games, and I, I guess I shouldn't say I've noticed them over the last couple of games. They really caught my attention in the last couple of games, but I have noticed them in previous is that GCU will often drop into a two, three zone. Um, for a few possessions at a time. And we've kind of talked about this. There was a point during Alcorn's um, run where we dropped into a 2-3 and I was like, oh my goodness. Because in that possession, Alcorn, you know, sliced and diced our, our, our zone and got an easy layup. Yeah. Um, but yeah. against Wyoming, I think it gave Wyoming some problems. They were getting different looks yeah, from a frequent basis, and I think it kind of threw them out of rhythm. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and this why, well, and part of it too is <clears throat> ideally, when, or generally speaking, when you go into a, when you go into a two, three, um, you are giving up more open threes. And um, <clears throat> Wyoming, shot 20 what 28 percent from three so like you said I, I think it's something we we do for for short streaks in in a, in a lot of different instances but to switch into a two three against a team that's shooting really poorly from deep um it's gonna be what super happens, helpful yeah because you 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 give up you give up more threes and sometimes what can happen is you're actually baiting the other team if we we, we talked about this same exact scenario a couple a couple weeks ago, but you're baiting a team to shoot threes. You're saying, I don't think you can beat us from the three point line. Good luck. Um, and I think a little bit, I think Wyoming a little bit took that bait. Wyoming shot 35 threes. 
They made 10 of them. The Lopes only shot 19 threes, made eight of them. Um, just not a great shooting night from Wyoming. And and that 2-3 zone baiting them to take more threes when they were already taking a lot. Over half of their shots were from three. Yeah. So are are we ready to move on from Alcorn? Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So regarding the the Wyoming game a little bit more, um, you, you talked about how they they struggled from three. It's funny, though, because they had a couple of stretches where they made a few threes in the row. And you, and you referenced one of them when you said this is when the, the wheels are going to fall off for the fall off the bus for the Lopes. But uh, early in the game, they made a few. I think there was that stretch in the middle there that you referred to. And then also towards the end of the game, they, they had a couple of threes go down. And, and there it is again, a game of runs, streaky when it comes to shooting. Um, I will say this about Wyoming, though. Not overly impressed with them. I don't think they're that good. I don't think they're going to be making it back to the tournament this year. I don't think they have a chance to be an at-large. And if they want to make the tournament, they're going to have to win their conference. And I I don't see that from them. Yeah, they they just aren't. I mean, they're not what... When we scheduled this game this year, I had really high hopes for us playing a team that was an at-large last year. This is, like, the, you said it right. This is not an at-large team. Um, we, you know, we we won on the road against a good team, and we should we should feel good about that. But this is certainly not an at-large team. This is not a team that's in the Ken Palm Top 100. In fact, we're actually ranked higher than this team. Um we were only three point dogs on the road. Um, now, winning this game is, is still impressive. I, we did a we did a segment a couple weeks ago where we talked about um, when looking at this uh, when looking at this stretch of games we have in our non conference. Um, which one are you like circling, if you will? And I think yours was Wyoming. And yeah, um, and it still is. I, I'm I don't want to take any anything away from the program for winning this game. I think it's a great win. I think winning any game on the road in the non-conference, well, I shouldn't say just in the non-conference, any game on the road, especially for this GCU team who has traditionally been poor on the road, I, I'll take any road win I can get, and especially against a Mountain West Conference team. Um, yeah. But I'm I'm just saying from, from the expectations that were on the Wyoming program this year, I don't know that anybody thought they would be better than last year, but last year they were dominant. Um, in the post, and we didn't see that today. They looked pretty stinking. Or I sorry, today I watched the game today. We didn't see that yesterday. Um, yeah, I, I think they're very small, and I don't see anything about them that jumps out to me that they do incredibly well. You know what I'm saying? And typically, teams are always going to have something that they do incredibly well. I thought Alcorn, like I said, they did a really good job of denying passes and, and chasing guys down and not letting us get really good looks during that 21-minute stretch. Wyoming, I don't think I saw anything about them that really jumped out to me. Um, one thing I did notice about us, though, and I guess kind of exposing Wyoming, is we were kind of in the spread ball screen offensively in the first half. And a few possessions early like really early. I didn't think we even put a ball screen down because we were so nicely spaced and we were just able to feed the ball into Igehan and Udriogo from the wing down into the block without any trouble whatsoever. And we got easy buckets off of those. 
And it was like, yeah. okay, Wyoming, are you not going to defend the post entry? So that's kind of my just rant about Wyoming. Do you have any particular thoughts about them as a program? Yeah, I mean, they're they're not as good as last year. Um, I, we all kind of know that. Um, there was a, like one of the things I said was in um, in the ESPN the weekly bracketology, which which comes out tomorrow. By the way, I'll be excited to see. They do these like, um, not really articles is the right word, but they have like a couple stories, related stories, and one of them was on like what on earth is happening to Wyoming. Um, and yeah, basically what they said is like this is a, a team that made an at large that was an at large bid last year a team that was projected to be pretty good and they're just not living up to it. What on earth is going on? And that was before the GCU game. But I like, and like you said, I don't want to discredit GCU in any way here. I think this is the most complete game we've played all year. I was really impressed with the way we played. And I think if we can play, all right, I'm going to say it. If we can play the way we did on Saturday, consist, if we can show that level of consistency in every game, we will win the whack. I have no disagreements with you there, especially considering the fact that we did not have our starting guard in the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We we do need to talk about that. All See, the- I didn't I didn't even realize until after the game that he hadn't played because I like I said, I was driving home from from a basketball trip and I was just able to, you know, check the score updates every time I stopped and I, I wasn't even looking at, you know. Right. You know, roster who who was scoring. I didn't even check Twitter to see how everybody was talking about it. But once I got home right. and was able to, you know, look deeper at the stats and um, check Twitter and stuff, it was one of your tweets saying that we didn't have Blackshirt, and I was like, "How the heck did we win this basketball game? How did we do yeah. it?" And watching it yeah, today, let's... I was I was very impressed. You know, I think I think Chance McMillan played a really great game. I think uh, Josh Baker played really well. Um, Ray Harrison played really well. Yeah, he did. And awesome. and and uh, McLaughlin also played super well. I thought we had a really complete game from most of our roster. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's let's talk about Blackshear for a moment. Um, he, I feel, and maybe maybe this is off base, but I feel like he's kind of been the guy for us so far this season, as far as like. Who's who do I want to have the ball in their hands in a situation that matters? I think it's been him um, for yeah. the most part. And so I would have thought just already coming in, like this is Wyoming games really hard. We're playing on the road. The Lopes have all sorts of question marks already. Uh, the road in general is a huge question mark for us. And without Blackshear, I, I would have thought that would be really tough for us. I think the team just looked awesome. Um, they looked so in rhythm. Um, like you said, uh, the, those four guys you mentioned did awesome. Our, our starting lineup looked great, pretty short bench, only eight guys played, um, and, and no, no Blackshear. Um, he did get injured in that Alcorn state game. So part yeah. of that was with, with about three minutes left in that Alcorn state game, we were up by seven at the time. Um, he, he got what appeared to be an ankle injury and he, he was like hobbling around for a long time. He kind of ran into the tunnel. Not, to, I, I think it seemed like he was just trying to like stretch it out. So he was like running back and forth through the tunnel. He was trying to get himself ready. I think he wanted to go back in the game because the game was still pretty intense at that time. Uh, I think we ended up like 
pushing it out enough that he didn't have to return or maybe he, I don't think he returned, right? Uh, no, he didn't. And I think we played except exceptionally without him. Yeah, I think so too. But uh, it seemed like that ankle injury is the same thing that kept him out um, there. What there isn't, there hasn't been really any details. This is one of the questions we got um, before the podcast episode is what's the deal with Blackshear? Um, we know that he got that ankle injury with three minutes left in the Alcorn game. He missed the remainder of that game. Um, the 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 men's program, the GCU basketball program, tweeted before the Wyoming game. All they said was Blackshear is not available um, for the game. So that really isn't very detailed. Um, obviously, he didn't play in the Wyoming game. Obviously, we won um, without him. As far as what is happening with him now, there's just really not a lot of information. It seemed like it was an ankle injury. Um, he didn't have to go back to the locker room. In other words, I don't think it was anything particularly serious. Um, but I would say that the way to evaluate him is that he is day to day would be my guess. Yeah. Here's the thing about that though, is you're going to see this in college football, college basketball, especially at the mid major level is it's not like the NFL or the NBA where you're getting injury reports on what the injury is, how long the person is out for, what their status is. Um, and a lot of that has to do with coaches, you know, trying to keep opposing coaches honest when it comes to scouting. Um, if you're not spending a lot of time on Blackshire because you know that he's going to be out for the game, then you have more time to prepare for, for Chance McMillan or Jordan Baker, right? Whereas if you don't say, hey, Blackshire's going to be out for the next X amount of games or weeks or whatever, um, then they have to still scout for the players that could possibly play. And so GCU's uh, Twitter posting right before the game that Blackshire is out, that's more so for the fans, I would say. And I know as a, as a college football fan and as a college basketball fan, it can be frustrating to be like, oh, you know, our, one of our key players uh, in GCU's case, the key player is out. Yeah. Um, or, or not out, but like we don't know what we can expect right. for, for this game. And it gets a little frustrating, but it's like, okay, um, it, it's, a, it's a chess match. It's, a, right. it's strategic. On, on the flip side of that, and I think you're exactly right. The guy that I think of when I think of that is Steve Kerr. Um, he's like the the master of that because you know in in professional sports and even in like power conferences, if you think like if 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 uh, if if like Bryce Young got injured from Alabama, like we would know, you know. Um, yeah. But, but just the 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 lower level of competition we go, the less like information is disseminated like that. But um, I think that if it was a long injury, like if Blackshear was out for this season, I don't think they would do this. Like he's not available for today's game thing. Um. So so I honestly do, honestly they should though <laughs> just for every game for the rest of the year just if he's out for the year he's, just, un, he's uh, unavailable maybe then have, have him on the sideline every game it's like it's like he has a broken <laughs> leg and they take the boot off every game just so it looks well, like he could play for the next game like how Chris Paul has been for the Suns he's been day to day for like four weeks now <laughs> um, but no I think I think you're right um, I, it's definitely like the mental game of why would they tweet that like an hour before game time instead of right after the Alcorn game because they don't want to allow Wyoming to repair. They know, right? It unless it was a game time scratch, which it, it that that happens, right? Maybe he actually is like they didn't know he's day to day. Maybe um 
but for the most part, Bryce Drew and the GCU players know the game plan for, hey, we're not going to have Blackshear. This is what we're going to do. And Wyoming doesn't get that luxury, right? So that's the reason, although, like we said, it, it can be frustrating for us. But I would say that just information about him missing one game at a time tells me that it's not something severe. I think if he was going to miss extended periods of time, we would know. Yeah, 100%. Well, maybe not 100%, but well, I, I do agree with you on, for the most part there. Um, here's I, I kind of wanted to talk about this. Um, obviously, we played really well without him. And we were talking about him being, you know, the key player, the guy that we want to have the ball in his hands in in key situations. We saw Chance McMillan and Josh Baker, those two in particular, really rise to the occasion. Yeah. And I think. Gabe McLaughlin is also one of those guys who has been very consistent and really reliable, especially when he gets down into the paint and can kind of work his magic with the footwork and, and finishing ability at the rim. Yeah. I'll say this. I think the intangible that we have in Javon Blackshire is experience. However, as great as he is, I think we are in good hands mm-hmm. next season moving forward without him. I agree. I, I don't think it's a situation. And, and I think we saw that against Wyoming. It's it's not uh, a lot of teams struggle with this. This is part of the, the downside of if you have a one guy, like if you have a main dude and that dude goes down, it's really hard. Um, What I think we've seen from, from this GCU team and even before the Blackshear injury is like, He's not, the expectation is not like Blanchard's going to carry us and we're all just going to sit in the corner. Like he's going to run ISO and we're going to hang out. It has not, not been that all. way. We've seen previous game where Rayshon Harrison went ballistic. He went kind of ballistic in this one too. Um, we've seen big performances from other players and we've seen, um, we've seen a lot of good stuff from McLaughlin. We've seen um, a lot of good stuff from Harrison. Obviously, like we said, a really good game from McMillan this game. Um, yeah, I, I agree in that like, I think... Blackshear is really valuable to our team. I think he's really important to our team. But I think that this, like, next man up, right, isn't as painful as it could be in other situations. Listen, I don't, I wouldn't even consider it painful. I wouldn't even use that word. Um, I think we've really fared well without him. And, and I'm not saying that he needs to be coming off the bench. I'm not saying that whatsoever. I'm not saying that he isn't a lightning rod of a player that is an incredible person to have on the court for us because he is. Here's the thing though. I think, like you said, the next man up, these guys are really taking that to heart and rising to the occasion. And when it comes down to it, um, I, I think Blackshire is just the kind of guy that you need in the program because he is, you know, quote, a program guy. Yeah. He, he, he's a guy that the guys like. He's a leader. And that's one of those things that's so important for a team. And he doesn't need to be on the floor to do that. And we kind of saw that with Alcorn is he was on the sideline. He was gassing those guys up, which is huge, huge for a guy. And another thing, too, with that is he's been good enough at GCU, I think, where especially in, in the age of NILs, he 
could have transferred somewhere else and been successful and probably cashed in on NILs. I don't know. That's just an opinion, but I think he loves being here. Yeah. He loves this program and he loves the coach. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, he's averaged, he's averaged double digit points every season of his career. Um, I I do want to ask you a question and we might not know the answer. This might be a whack hoops digest or someone who knows more than us. Um, This is his fourth season with the Lopes. There's a, there's a lot of people who know more than us. Yeah. So if you're, (laughs) if you're like a, a, a college basketball understander, like if you're like someone who's like read the rule book, please help. Um, well, this is Blackshear's fourth year with the Lopes, but his first year was the 1920 season in which there was not uh, a conference tournament or NCAA tournament. He is listed on ESPN as a junior. Does he have a, does that, so does he have a fifth year of eligibility? Oh, then he probably the- does. I, I've been talking about him. Like he's going to be graduated next year. No, no me too. he'll yeah. be here. He'll be here. then. And we've been, we've been talking about that, but that is something to account. It's his first year was, was 1920. And even that year he averaged 10.7 points a game. He started in all 30 games. And then obviously there was not a conference tournament or NCAA tournament because of COVID. Um, but he gets an extra year of eligibility for that. So uh, this is his fourth year, but technically his junior year since he he gets the extra year for the, the COVID year. So that's another thing that's kind of nice to consider about Blackshear. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel stupid, but I'm not I'm not mad about it. <laughs> yeah, That's awesome. So, yeah, no, I think, uh, you know, the pieces, the pieces are here for us, man. And keeping yeah. guys around is going to be big time. Um, because GCU has typically been a, a school that's picking up transfers, which is you know, I would I would consider a good thing. You know, guys want to come and play for us. Um, we've also had a couple of guys transfer out, but not really recently under this this coaching staff. So it's yeah. uh, it's going to be really important to keep these guys around. Yeah, it's good to see. I looking at it, I I don't know who on our roster right now we're even losing I, I think bauman is a grad transfer right so he's yeah he'll he'll be done after the season walter ellis yeah. is a senior that's all i'm seeing right now let me double check mike i think you're right mclaughlin's a junior blackshire's a junior baker's a junior yeah we got a lot of juniors so so that'll be good to see what we what we can add and then we we have some freshmen who i thought i think uh i'm surprised that they're not playing as much particularly the guys i'm thinking of are uh, Isaiah Carr and Kobe Knox are, are two guys who I think um, can be really good. I think I think Knox more so, but yeah. yes, I'm with you. you no, know, so well, Isaiah Carr was, um, he was the high school player of the year in the state of New Mexico, right? Was he? Was I, his, yeah, I, yeah, I literally don't know I anything think he about. Was him. I think that was the thing. So he's a seven foot freshman out of his birthplace, Las Cruces, New Mexico, and Ugh. chose to play at DCU, which I just you I actually that for him. I yeah. love. For just for that reason alone, I I love this guy. Um, so so the future is bright. I I feel encouraged there, but also for this season, I I part of the thing that I <laughs> I tweeted this and and I think it's funny and I got a lot of pushback for it. But one of the things we talked about on the previous episode was like I, I'm not seeing anything yet to show me that this isn't just another run of the mill Lopes team that's going to be good but not great. And I think that the Wyoming game has changed my mind a little bit. I think that I after the Wyoming game, I'm now ready to have the Grand Canyon University Antelopes men's basketball team completely shatter my heart. I'm ready. I'm ready for them to make me cry in in in, in May or in March. It's fine. So so I guess with that comes the question: Is GCU legitimately, objectively, the team to beat in the WAC, or do you just think they are 
a team that could legitimately win it, like could. The second one. I, I do okay. not think it's fair to say that they are the team to beat, given the resume of Sam Houston. Um, yeah. Even I, I had a, even given the resume of, of Seattle, I had a really, really fun discussion slash argument with Wax Wack Hoops Digest about this of the Seattle U. Did you see that? Yeah, no, we we we, lo- we love Wack Hoops Digest, by I the way. Just guy. so you guys know. Okay, they're great. Um, so so even like to say, like, yeah, it's the Lopes, it's the Lopes conference to lose. Uh, I don't think it's fair. Um no. it's it's a league that there's just a lot of parody. And I, I seriously think there are I, I went through I think there are nine teams that if you told me this team is going to win Wack Vegas, I'd be like, okay. Like I don't know that I'd be that surprised. Is one of those teams Utah Valley? Yeah. Really? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And you want to know why? Why? Dude, they look kind of nice against Long Beach. <laughs> you watch that game? Yeah. Well, no, I, I didn't watch it, but I saw the I saw the score. Let's uh, let's let's move into more of a wide spectrum conversation yeah, yeah, yeah. about the whack um what what's happened score wise since we've kind of mentioned right. around the it. whack i've decided yeah. to break this down into two categories because I, I i really like my around the whack segment because yeah. i, I do, so, so we're gonna dub this we're gonna dub this a segment then yeah but but around I the whack around the whack is, is what i've labeled it in our like notes app preview um i've broken it into two sections and those two sections are good wins and bad losses all right, so, hit us hit us with uh, what what this qualifies is a good win simply is beating a team that is ranked um higher, higher. than you in Kenpom and a bad loss is losing to a team that is ranked lower than you in Kenpom. Now there's exceptions, right? Like if number 112 GCU would have lost at number 113 Wyoming, which is what they were at the time, I don't know that I would count that a bad loss cuz Wyoming was one tick lower, but 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 a lot of these are pretty substantial. Yeah. So here's what we have. Let's start with our wins. First of all, uh, I have, <laughs> if you see here, I have a hot takes section. And in that hot take section, I only have one hot take. And here it is. UTRGV is the most underrated team in the WAC. Now take that with a grain of salt, I would say, because being underrated doesn't mean you're good. Yes, that's exactly Thank what you. I would say. UTRGV is not good. They're not a good team. They're not going to win the WAC. But to have this team ranked like 324 in Ken Palm or whatever they are is a travesty. Is it Stephen A. Blasphemy? It's blasphemy. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> it took you a minute. <laughs> so so tell is... me, tell me why they're underrated, Zach, All please. Right. So, so they're because because they're a team to me that that is like Sam Houston, that is like Houston, that is like Alcorn State. They're not very physical, but they just play hard basketball. And so when you when you look at their their they're ranked three twenty five. They're the number three hundred and twenty five team in Kempom. All right, this is their resume. They lost to Kansas State by a lot. Kansas State's good. They beat the two non division one teams. Now they played Texas A and M Corpus Christi, who's ranked one ninety one in Kempom. Note that that is one hundred and forty ranks higher. They went that's, to Texas. That's right around where, where Montana State is now. Yeah. So they went to Texas AM Corpus Christi and lost to them by 18. This Wednesday, they played that same team at home. And they won. Number by how many? 323, one by seven against number 191. Their losses are Texas AM Corpus Christi, whom they just redeemed, 
Kansas State, Texas, the number two team in the country, and then most notably Western Illinois, which, which granted is a pretty bad loss, um, but it's a way, it is what it is. They also have wins over Western Illinois, who they just lost to, at home, and at home against Northern Arizona. All of those teams ranked at least 40 spots higher than them in Ken Palm. In fact, they have not played a single team ranked lower than them in Ken Palm, and they have a winning record. So how on earth, this is the number 325 team in the country when they played seven teams with a higher rank than them and two Division II teams and have a record of five and four? I simply will never understand. Are you insinuating that those Division II teams that they played would be ranked higher than them on Ken Palm? No, but what I'm saying is... <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm uh, giving you a hard time. They, they have they've played seven teams that are Division One. All seven teams are ranked higher than them. And they are three and four against teams ranked higher than them. Have they lost a home game yet? No, they have not. So that, that's that's something to speak to. It, you know, and I actually think it's funny. So we've you mentioned that they played Western Illinois twice and they played yep. Corpus Christi twice. Could you imagine football. being in a situation where your non-conference schedule is a bunch of home and aways with teams because you can't fill a conference schedule? Yeah, you have tough. a lot of home games. Very tough. I guess. I guess all this to say, right? Uh, not saying that they're good. They're an. I think they're an average team or below average team. But what they do is, they're a team that can defend themselves at home. They've shown that by losing by double digits to both Western Illinois and Texas A&M Corpus Christi, and then beating them both at home. Uh, is this uh, who? Like, I'm trying to think who is around. Stephen F. Austin is ranked kind of around there. Are they going to split the Holman away with Stephen F. Austin? Are they going to split the Holman away with Abilene Christian? Right? These are the things where, like, if this team is capable of doing that, there's no way they're ranked 325. Now, I don't think UTRGV is very good. I think they will probably finish around 10th or 11th in the WAC. But right now, they are 13th in the WAC as far as net ranking goes. Let me just make sure that's right. They are ranked 13th in the WAC by about 50 points. They're 13th in the whack by far. And I think that is crazy. I think that's crazy. So do you think they're more underrated than New Mexico State? Yeah. As far as as far as like ranking points. So like I would say UTRGV is ranked 325. I would probably have them in the 230s. New Mexico that's... State is ranked 136. I would probably have them in the 100s. Okay. You know who New Mexico State plays tomorrow? Yeah, a team that isn't real. Simon Fraser. Do you want to know yeah. where Simon Fraser is? Where? Is it in Montana? No, it's in Canada. Is it really? No kidding. Are they allowed to do that? Yeah, dude. All right. Yeah, I'm still... The The jury is still out for me on New Mexico State because I'm waiting to see them... Like, you know that meme where the guy's like poking something with a stick and he's like, come on. Come on, do something. Do something. That's how I feel about New Mexico State because... I, I feel like they have played. Oh, and I, I don't feel like this is true. They played five games, and those five games tell me nothing about what kind of team they're going to be. They lost to UTEP on the road, which is a pretty bad loss, but then beat them by twenty five at home. They lost to UC Irvine, who's a really good team, and they beat San Diego, who's well, I don't know what really good team. They lost to UC Irvine, who's a good team, and they beat San Diego, who's a decent team, and that's it. Like that's all they've done. The New Mexico games got canceled, unfortunately. They have, after this game against a team from Canada, this isn't real, they have Santa Clara, Duquesne, and St. Mary's, and then 
Northern New Mexico, and then Kent State to finish out their non-conference. So for me, New Mexico State, I don't know what they are. I don't know how good that team is. And that's not me saying, like, I don't know how good this team is. Maybe they're not very good. I'm saying I genuinely have no way to assess this team because I haven't seen them, like, play a good team. We don't have data points yet. Yeah. We don't have, I don't, I do not have enough data to make any assessment of New Mexico State's team. According to Ken Palm rankings right now, they're fourth place. And I think that might be a little low. Um, I think they're better than Seattle. Um, but I don't know if they're better than Sam Houston State or GCU, who are currently one and two. They might be, but I think until I see them play somebody better, we'll have to just see. They played, and UC Irvine's a good team. We talked about that game last week. They're a good team, but they also beat New Mexico State by 17 at a neutral site. So, yeah, I don't no, know. I'm with you there. I think uh, I think what it's going to come down to is just we're not going to know really until the conference schedule because who do they even have on the non-conference remaining? They have St. Mary's. That's a big one. And Santa Clara. Big games, yeah. And Kent State. <clears throat> oh, true, true. And Duquesne. Those are the yeah, next four. No, okay, so they actually have a pretty decent yeah. non-conference that's schedule. What, that's what I'm saying. Their next four games, they have two games against non-Division One teams. They have Simon Fraser and Northern New Mexico, and they have four games against Division One teams, and all four of those games are big games, Uh, and they're, they're none of them are at home. There's three away games, and the Kent State game, it says, is semi-home. I don't know what that means, but... um, That, that means it's a, it's a neutral site. But it's and it's cold. probably it's probably in New Mexico somewhere. So like yeah. GCU's game against North Texas is listed as semi home because yeah, it's at Footprint Center, but it's not at GCU. At the foot. Yeah. The foot. So I, I still uh, think of it as talking stick. Yeah, it's talking stick resort. It's, it's whatever. Um we have a couple bad losses I want to look at. I think the whack is starting to divide into tiers. I think we're seeing Teams that were playing well, that are continuing to play well, can now be taken kind of seriously. And that that tier is Sam Houston, GCU, and Seattle. And then we have other teams that are in this, like, middle tier of, like, teams that we obviously know are better than the UTRGVs and UT Arlingtons of the world, but that have fallen or <clears throat> just are not playing at the level of the top tier. So I think the WAC is in three tiers right now. I think it's tier one, Sam Houston, GCU, Seattle, and I'm going to put New Mexico State up there. And then tier three, this bottom tier, I think is Utah Tech, UT Arlington, and UTRGV, because I think those three teams are really bad. Um, and then I think the, the middle tier is like teams that I have no idea what to expect. Utah Valley, Tarleton, Cal Baptist, Southern Utah, SFA, and Abilene Christian. Three of the teams in that in that tier were teams that I had thought of as pretty good teams that picked up pretty bad losses. So let's go through those. Okay. The first one is Southern Utah. Southern Utah, who at the time was Ken Palm 173, um, dropped a game to Montana State, um, which which is tough. Um, was Southern was Utah. it was it in Cedar City, Utah, or was it in Bozeman? It was a home game. They lost a home game to Montana State. Okay. By three points, but you know, um, a, a former Southern Utah came from the Big Sky, right? Yeah. So those teams have become they've, familiar they've with each other over the years. Right. So, so that's a tough loss. For me, Southern Utah was a team that had performed pretty well in the Big Sky. They were a team I was excited to get. Um, I, I expected them to be a good team. 
this is what they've done so far. They've beaten the team that is ranked 249th in double overtime. They beat the team that is ranked 311th by 10. They beat three teams that are not Division One, And then they lost to New Mexico. They lost to Kansas. They lost by double digits to number 193 Texas State in a neutral. And they lost to Montana State at home. So with every furthering day, Southern Utah is slipping more and more towards the bottom tier when I had originally anticipated them being slightly above average. So so I'm I'm disappointed there. I'm wondering what the deal is, but that Montana State loss is kind of tough. Yeah, no, I agree. And and obviously this is the whack the win the whack podcast. Uh it's not a big sky podcast. I'm I'm really familiar with the Big Sky Conference cuz my I'm a homer for the Montana Grizzlies. That's our conference and you're going to see this in in the Big Sky whereas with the whack, you know, you have New Mexico State who is always the perennial. And then you have teams that are, you know, kind of clumped around second. Grand Canyon has always been in that, you know, um, really competitive yet not at the top of the hill kind of situation. With the Big Sky, however, and, and many other conferences are like this, is you get teams that are, you know, they'll have one or two really good seasons and then they'll just be average. There's only one one or two programs that are usually pretty good there, and that's Weber State in Northern Colorado. Aside from those two, it's like you could have you know, for example, Montana State won the the Big Sky Championship last year. It's been years and years and years since they've done that. Um, before that, uh, Eastern Washington, they're typically not a perennial in the conference basketball-wise, but they won a couple. Um, Montana was pretty good for a while, but they're kind of lacking the last couple of years. So it's very different from the whack. And when I see Southern Utah kind of struggling this year, I'm not going to say it surprises me because I don't think they did great last year as they were exiting the big sky and yeah, they're not looking great right now. So we'll see. Yeah, No, that's definitely tough. Um, another, uh, another team we're going to look at, uh, another one of these teams that joined the whack, um, in the, in the whack expansion, a, a team that we thought was gonna be really good. Um, Stephen F. Austin, Stephen F. Austin and Abilene Christian, I think are the two teams that we thought like, for years of just it being GCU, it, it was New Mexico State is number one, and then GCU, Utah Valley, and Seattle U are in that second tier of like teams that are good but can't be New Mexico State, and then the third tier is like garbage basketball teams. We thought um, getting these teams is awesome because now we have two teams that have been dominant's not the right word, but have been very good in their respective conferences. Have both had tournament appearances, both had tournament wins. And we were really excited to get them. And boy, oh boy, are they. And then GCU went and spanked Abilene Christian last year. Yeah. And they're probably going to do it again with the way they've been playing. But I wouldn't mind that. Even if Austin picked up a really bad loss this week at home. So let's talk about them. They're they're ranked number 157 right now in Ken Palm. Um, sorry, 172. They were 157. They played Northwestern State, who is Ken Palm 284. <clears throat> uh, they played them at home and they lost. This is a this is a Stephen F. Austin team that also lost at home by nine to Alcorn State, which is tough. Um, they do have a win by double digits on the road at South Dakota State, who's usually a one of the top teams in the summit, if not the top team in the summit. Um, although it doesn't seem like it this year, so 
that one surprised me, but they're they're a team that is just they've lost three out of their last four. None of those games are against Ken Palm top 100 teams. Um, their last the last two games that they've won, neither of them have been at home. They've both been by double digits, and they've been against South Dakota State and UNC Greensboro, who um are two awesome, awesome teams, I think. Okay, sorry. Awesome is an exaggeration. Two two teams that I really enjoy watching because I think they're both fun and kind of good. Competent, um, yeah. But but yeah, um, I, I don't know what to make of this team. They're so confusing. They they'll beat UNC Greensboro by 17 on a neutral who's ranked higher than them and a team that like was in at-large contention a couple of years ago, one of the one of the better teams in the SOCON, but then they lose at home to Northwestern State, who's like one of the worst teams in the country. What is happening in Stephen F. Austin? What's going on with these guys? So I'm going to say this. I do not think that... <sighs> Let me take that back. We can still consider Northwestern State a bad loss for, for Stephen F. Austin. However, I don't think it's bad as it appears. Um, uh, Northwestern State was 293 to Stephen F. Austin's 157 at the time of that loss. Let me tell you this. Northwestern State started the season as 353 okay they're now at they're now at 284 they are currently what is this uh seven and two with wins against texas christian who is 37th in ken palm illinois state kind of bad central arkansas kind of bad bethune cookman kind of bad Stephen f austin Southern Miss, who's kind of right around there in that 180 to 170 range, and then um, a probably an NAI school. But their losses come to Texas Tech, which they kind of got blown out of the water there, 24 points, which I guess is not terribly bad. Uh, and then Illinois State is probably a bad loss for them because it was at home. Illinois State is 251, and they lost by two at home. But I don't think Northwestern State should be in this 290 range, 280 range. They shouldn't be in the 150 range either, but they're, I think they're a little bit underrated, but I guess it comes down to who you're playing and they've played a bunch of 300s, high 200s. So we'll see. Yeah. Other than their, I mean, that win at Texas Christian is pretty remarkable. Um, And they have won six in a row. So I guess maybe, maybe I'm being too hard on them here, but just, you know, they're 130 ranking ranked higher. And and they're at home and they're not supposed to lose that game. So that well, that, yeah, and, that... and it's hard when you start at two fifty three. You know, it's hard when you start. Or sorry, not two fifty three, three fifty three. That's literally the bottom of the bucket when it comes to Ken Palm ratings. And so they've had to kind of make their way up. And uh, yeah, anyways, yeah, no, that is that's a tough one. There's one more team uh, I want us to look at a team that I I haven't paid a lot of attention to this year. Um, outside of I've just kind of like. Checked in on their scores. Um, I think that Cal Baptist was a team that I expected to be good. And I think this Cal Poly loss is a real ouchie, bro. They lost. So Cal Baptist, who at the time was number 145, lost on the road by double digits to number 247, Cal Poly. Now, Cal Poly is on a three-game winning streak, but that those three games are against... Idaho Pacific and now Cal Baptist. They lost to Mount St. Mary's. They got blown out by Stanford. They got blown out by San Francisco. Uh, they're in the they're in the Big West, and I think they're not a very good team in the Big West. 
this is a loss that is confusing to me. I know early in the season, Cal Baptist, uh, they picked up that win in Washington, and then they lost a one-point overtime game against Minnesota, and they lost an overtime game against Southern Illinois. And I thought, like, man, this team might be good. And they beat Central Michigan at home. They beat UC Riverside at home. And, like, it just it looked like it looked like Cal Baptist was a team that was, in my opinion, about to enter that top tier of, like, contenders prior to then losing by 11 to a team that I consider to be really bad in Cal Poly. And Cal Poly, rankings aside, that's a team that just doesn't pass the eye test for me. I just think they're bad. Okay. Like I would I would take I would take UTRGV over them in a neutral, um, <laughs> which is my baseline for bad teams. If you lose UTRGV, um, okay. So I don't know what to make of of that. But those are my three teams who I, I guess, expected to do well: Cal Baptist, Southern Utah, Stephen F. Austin, who all picked up kind of bad losses this week. Um, and then obviously the the two wins I have that are notable are UTRGV beating Texas A&M Corpus Christi and New Mexico State did get revenge on Utah. We UTEP. We we didn't talk about it in detail, but yeah, they lost to UTEP earlier and then they beat them by I think twenty five at home. So they got their revenge, which is great. They have a tough non conference coming up. Um, keep keep in mind, Zach, when it comes to those bad losses, as we can would consider them. You know, if every game was just going to be an outcome that's expected, then there's no point in doing it. And that's why you play the game. So yeah. good for Cal Poly, part, I guess. Right. And part of it, too, and maybe this is like the, the like, I don't know, power conference fan in me is like, I think when when, when we look at college basketball for a conference like the WAC and for, for most of the conferences out there, your resume doesn't matter at all. Like they're simply, simply put, none of these teams are getting an at-large bid. So who they win and lose to doesn't matter. There's one way to make the NCAA tournament and that's to win somewhere between two and five games in Wack Vegas, depending on what your seat is because the tournament's stupid this year. Um, but that's it. So, so I guess you're, it's all that to say, you're right. Um, this loss doesn't affect them at all. There's not going to be a committee saying like, oh, they picked up a they lost to Cal Poly back in back in December. I don't know, you know. Uh, I guess we can't give them an at large. Yeah, no at large for them. Shucks. Um, with that being said, let's talk about Seattle U. Okay. I want to I want to first hear your thoughts on this. What do you think about Seattle U? What are your thoughts on this team? This is a team that is. It's what seven and one. They're only lost to Washington on the road, who is a Pac-12 team. What are your thoughts? What do you, what do you think about Seattle? You? I'll say this: the Portland game, the 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 win over Portland on the road is is a nice win, yeah. but it's just like you said on Twitter. Um, Seattle, you playing a real team, mission level impossible. And they really don't have anything big until the Utah State game on the 22nd of November, who is Ken Palm 144. And then after that, they're in a conference play. So, Yeah, I also think they're going to lose to Oregon State, but that's okay. Um, who is ranked Ken Palm 217 for some reason. But they, they might be the lowest power conference team in Ken Palm. <laughs> no, it's got to be Louisville. Someone, someone pull Louisville for me. They're the worst, they're the worst team in Division One. Yeah, no kidding. Louisville is... It's pretty embarrassing, actually. I, f- I kind of feel bad for their fans. But I think Louisville is... Shoot, I think they're around the 200 range. They're at 206. Yeah. So it looks like Oregon State is a few below them. 
I'll actually yeah. look into this a little bit. I want to know. Here's who... what's actually sad. Oregon oh, State, hey. not the lowest ranked team in their own conference. It's California. Yeah, Cal sucks. <laughs> They're terrible. <laughs> 227. So it looks like uh, Oregon State is the second lowest team in, in the power conference right yeah. in front but of you know Cal. What? But you know what Oregon State can do? They what can, can they Washington. do? They can beat Washington. Yeah, yeah. So they did that. They did lose to Portland State twice, but... <laughs> Dude, this team is horrifically bad. But they beat Washington. Good. So you never know. Go Vikings, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, man. But yeah, um, Seattle yeah. U is a team that like they're ranked. They're Ken Palm, I think, third in the WAC. The Lopes have jumped them, which is great. And New Mexico State's better than them too, even though they're two points lower. Um, they have a stretch where they play North Dakota, who's number three fifteen, but I think, well, not being good, maybe is better than number three fifteen in the country. Um, then they play, um. Oregon State, who's number 217 on the road, which I fully expect them to lose that game. And then they played home against Alcorn State. Then they have Utah State in a neutral. I'm going to just say it. They're losing. They're going to lose three of these four. Yeah. I, I I think they'll lose three out of four. Yeah, I have no disagreement there. I think they're they're going to lose to Oregon State. They're going to lose to Utah State. That Those are, I think, a given. Yeah, you know what? I actually could see them possibly beating Oregon State, but they're projected to win. I don't think I don't think they're going to. I don't think so either. But yeah, yeah, we'll just and if they do right, if they come out and they win all three of those games and then lose their eight point dogs against Utah State, if they lose by around eight, then I will I will have to on next week's episode or I guess that's several weeks from now, but I'll have to readdress this and apologize to the three Seattle U fans out there. We don't <laughs> the three of them. <laughs> you, awesome. you know, uh, it's going to be interesting to see also if they blow a thirty point lead against Alcorn State. Yeah, you know what? I, I don't think they will. I just really don't think they will. I, I I hope the best for them in in that endeavor. Me too. Good, but also good luck. go go Alcorn State, I guess. Yeah. So, um, let's talk bracketology. Okay. Pretty early on, um, I like to just see what people are saying about the whack slash the lopes. Um, bracketology does have. Uh, Sam Houston State as our WAC representative. This was keep in mind that this was as of last Monday, so tomorrow it will be updated. So um, it'll still be Sam Houston subject. State. I promise right. you that the only thing these people look at when it comes to bracketology, especially for team or conferences like the WAC that aren't going to get two bids, they're just looking at Ken Palm and who's the highest rated team in Ken Palm. That's true. I think you're right. This is before what I was going to say was this was before the Nevada loss. So I don't know that they'll still be a 12 seed, but but it probably will still be Sam Houston. Um, they are on the 12 line right now, um, which is my favorite thing ever because they're on the 12 line playing North Carolina, who's a five seed, <laughs> which like is a real, that's like a tough scene, man. It was yeah. the number one in the country like five minutes ago and now they're the five seed. So yep. that's a tough break. Hey, I do want to give a shout out to our in-state school that we made horribly made fun of when they lost the swag who is now unstoppable. And that is Arizona state university is eight and one. And their only loss is to Texas Southern. I watched them beat today. Yeah, they look, they actually look kind of good. Uh, they're currently, they're currently a tournament team. They're not, they're like just in. Um, and I'm very confused, but Zach, let me say this. You've yeah. been you've had your heart broken before by Arizona State. I you know I have. 
I, I remember I, I'm I am old enough to remember them being ranked very high in the top ten actually when uh when they went undefeated or something in the non-conference. This wasn't too long ago, Zach. No, I know. I was there. And then and then what happened? They did what they always do. See, ASU they do one of two things every year. This is what they do. They either go like 15 and one. They're ranked like in the top 10 or 15. Then they finish the season by losing seven in a row, barely making the tournament and then losing in the first round. Or they do the opposite, which is they start the season out like four and 12 when the last five games of the regular season win a bunch of games and whack and like, I was gonna say whack Vegas, win a bunch of games in the Pac-12 tournament. And then like, they're the two seed in the NIT and then they like make it to the semifinals. So like they they have two, there's two ways it's going to go and it's always going to end with them being mid. The question is, are they going to start out hot and then finish poorly? Or are they going to start out poorly and then finish really hot? I don't know, but it seems, I guess it seems like they're starting hot. (laughs) I don't know. I think this team is a first round exit. They're they're gonna lose a play in game. They're we're gonna be watching them play in the first four, baby. Go go Devils. Keep in mind their best win is um, Michigan, Michigan by a million. Yeah, uh, not by a million by fifteen. Twenty five on a neutral court. Oh, sorry, you're right. Twenty five on a neutral court, and Michigan seems to be in shambles at the moment. So I don't know about I don't know about in shambles. They lost to two top ten teams. That's yeah. You're right. You're right. That's a little. That's a little harsh. My apologies, Michigan. Six collective points. My my apologies, Michigan. My apologies. I guess I just got a little bit overwhelmed, or not overwhelmed, carried away there. So yeah, yeah. No, that is that is a decent win. I'll give them that. Uh, They did blow a big lead against Colorado, though. Um, They were up double digits for most of the game because I was watching that one, and then they only won by one. So. Yeah, they're they're tricky. And even against Stanford, who I don't think is great. They're listed as 68th, but they're boy oh boy, are they not playing good basketball right now? It's um, really awkward. Sorry to interject. It's really awkward <laughs> seeing teams play conference games prior to Christmas. Yeah, someone tweeted about this. I don't like it. And then so this is a, a the Pac-12 specific thing is um a couple of years ago they updated their schedule from 18 conference games to 20 conference games. And so what they've opted to do is instead of starting the conference season a week early, they just slap two conference games in the first week of December. And so they've done that. And now they're going back to their non-conference. Like ASU is now going to play. They're now going to play SMU, Creighton, San Diego, and San Francisco. So like they're back to their non-conference. I guess I don't know why they decided to do that instead of just starting conference play a week early. Um, but but it does seem kind of weird. I was Oregon and UCLA was on prime time today. I don't know what ended up happening there. Um, well, that, that's are... also that's also kind of like Northwestern and Nebraska and um, oh yeah Purdue and Penn State playing games, conference games in football the first week of the season. Yeah, it, it is kind of weird. It feels it feels out of place. It feels like it's not a conference game. You know, right? Do you see that Nebraska beat Creighton today? In basketball, holy cow! Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, Creighton doesn't have football, but yeah, yeah, it was kind of no. Like I did not see that. What was the score? Uh, I think they won by like ten. It was on Fox Sports. I was watching. I was like tentative. It was on the screen. I, I don't know if I could say I was watching it. So um, what I'm hearing is that Creighton is not going to be a one seed, and I look like an idiot for picking them. Yeah, but I also pick North Carolina. I don't think they're going to be ranked anymore after what they've done the past couple of weeks. So, um, it is what it is. Hey, um, we got a question. 
Um, the first one was the the black shear thing, which we, we kind of answered, and our answer yeah. isn't very good. It's just we don't know. The other one was so net ranking. So we we talked a lot about Ken Palm rankings. I know that we both rely pretty heavily on Ken Palm rankings. Um, maybe we should explain to our less informed audience what all these rankings are, because I think to some of these people that's really confusing. So obviously there's like the AP top 25, but then outside of that, like how are we getting these rankings for like how good teams are? It's hard to know. Um, Ken Pomeroy has this algorithm known as the Ken Palm rankings that ranks teams, all the division one teams in college basketball by a number of different categories. So you can see like overall rankings, offensive rankings, defensive rankings, strength of schedule, all that stuff. Now, there's also the net rankings. Now, the net rankings, for the most part, has been what the NCAA has used for determining um, seeding slash who gets at-large bids. Um, as we've seen Ken Palm rankings become more and more prominent, there's been kind of a rise to people caring more about Ken Palm rankings than net rankings. Maybe not more, but, but certainly more than before. Um, but net rankings are still kind of the NCAA's metrics. And the first net rankings of the season, I believe, come out tomorrow. And so the question posed to us was, do we think GCU will be in the top 100 of the first net rankings tomorrow? What do you think? I don't think they are. Um, and, and I'm going to admit that I don't really pay attention to the NCAA net rankings. I, I'm a homer for Ken Palm. And the reason I, I I like Ken Palm is because they're all adjusted metrics. I don't know anything about the net rankings, honestly. Um, but the the Ken Palm rankings are all based on adjusted metrics, and and those all add up and kind of sum out to be efficiency margins. And so, um, the higher your efficiency margin, the higher you're ranked in in Ken Palm. And so right now, like the top five in Ken Palm are Houston, Texas, Tennessee, Connecticut, and Kentucky. And that's because they have incredible um, adjusted efficiency margins. And those, those teams are all in the plus twenties in efficiency. Whereas Grand Canyon is at plus 6.4 in efficiency. Um, I don't know how the NCAA metric is. Cause I, I really just have been focusing on Ken Palm, but I do think, if it's anything like Ken Palm, I don't see us being in the top 100. I think we'll be kind of in the same area as the Ken Palm ranking would be, maybe even a little lower, somewhere in the 110s. Um, I will say this. I like I like these metric rankings better than I like the polls because when you have like the AP poll, that's all voters. That's just people voting on things that, you know, a lot of the times they're probably not able to watch 100 to 200 basketball games in a week. So they can't really see how teams actually are. They just are able to check scores on their ESPN app and then make a quote unquote informed decision on who should be the top 25 teams in the nation. Yeah. There's definitely a place for that. Um, I, I, I do like the, the mid major madness one just because it's a, uh, Sorry, not the mid-major madness. That's a podcast. The mid-major top 25 by College Insider. I do like that one just because it, it's an opportunity to, you know, focus on mid-majors more so than than you know those teams that are considered blue bloods in the in the power five. And mid-major madness does usually do a mid-major top 25 that yeah. I think is a little more credible because at least I know they're guys who are 
intentionally watching mid-major games but well and also the the mid the college insider one is all coaches of mid-major teams voting at least from what i understand it might be athletic directors instead of coaches but i i know that each school like not each school but the schools that have voting power all have representatives and stuff and um those are all voted all on like from coaches or athletic director standpoints, as opposed to like the AP poll where that would be media and not to knock the media at all, because they often have a lot more opportunity to watch games than coaches do. Cause coaches are just watching teams that they're prepping for. Right. Um, right. But yeah, I long, long tangent, but I don't think that GCU is going to be above the 100 mark in the net rankings tomorrow. What I do you think? Agree. I agree. I agree. And I, I wonder if Sam Houston will be too. A part of me thinks, because like we've said, the, the Ken Palm is a pretty finely tuned algorithm. Part of me thinks Sam Houston will actually be ranked higher in net than they will in in Ken Palm. I, I think a lot of what happens is, from, from my experience, that net is what's used for for like determining tournament resumes. And, and one of the things that they really care about is strength of schedule, more so than like certain efficiency numbers. And I think they're gonna they're gonna really buy the two big wins by Sam Houston and the Nevada loss. I, Nevada is another team I think will probably be rated higher in net than in Ken Palm. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them in the low nineties, high eighties. Um, and I, I think that'll be the only whack team we see. Now I could be wrong. I, maybe I will be. I guess we'll find out tomorrow. Um, but but that's what I expect. And I expect, like you said, the Lopes to be probably around the mid one hundreds, around similar to where they are in, in Ken Palm. So my question, Zach, is why the heck does it matter? Why does it matter? It doesn't for us. For no, WAC no, no, no. For WAC teams and, and net rankings. Oh, yeah. Is this is this the rant I went on before? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Here's so this is what I, I I started going on a rant. Uh, and then I think we had to cut it. Um. But but this is what it is. Um. For the WAC, there's gonna be one team in the Western athletic conference that makes the NCAA tournament, which makes me sad. Cause I, cause I do like two bid whack. It's like one of my favorite memes. Um, and the team that is in the whack is going to be the team that wins two to five games at whack Vegas. Um, because you know, the format is stupid. Um, what that means is your resume doesn't matter at all. What matters is how are you going to do on this Wednesday to Sunday tournament in March? And that's, that's it. So, all this to say, like, rankings are cool, numbers are cool, strength of schedule is cool. Um, it doesn't matter, except for, I suppose, I mean, it matters, like, it matters, okay? It matters for seeding. You you obviously would rather be a 12 well, seed. Well, Zach, seed. traditionally, like, seeding matters, right? Because it, it's always been how you do in the tournament or in the regular season against conference teams is going to put you in a seat in, in your seeding position. Traditionally, how you wait, how you do in the regular season against tournament teams. Is that what you said? No, no. How you do against your conference opponents in the regular season. That's going to determine your seating in the conference tournaments. So like how yeah. we do in the WAC, that's traditionally been how we finish in the regular season in the WAC is how we get seated in the WAC tournament. Traditionally. That's true. But I think, I think there's something that like, for example, uh, if GCU, how many conference games do we play? Is it like 16, 18? I think it's 18 now. So if GCU and Sam Houston both go uh, 
if we both go 12 and 6, right? I think that I think that Sam Houston would be a seed higher than us because of their wins in the in the non-conference. I think well, they would take that in. Well, when it comes down to it is there's traditionally tiebreakers and and all those things that come into play. But kind of what I've been egging you on about is the change that's come into the tournament format. Oh, I've yeah, I just wasn't even thinking about that. So here's the you're, you're so and, mad and about I, it that you're just like, this is ridiculous. I, don't I was so mad that I just put it out of my brain. We actually just realized this prior to us going live because of a conversation that was happening in our comments on Twitter. Um, traditionally, um, in the past, what happens is your conference ranking determines your seeding for WAC Vegas. And so the team with the most wins or the best record in the WAC is the one seed, etc. Apparently, uh, that's not really the case now. Now, as far as what is the actual criteria to determine seeding, I'm still a little unsure because I've heard some people say that net rankings will be used, and I've seen others say that Ken Palm rankings will be used, and then I've seen some really cursed ones that say it's a combination between net and Ken Palm, and I don't have any idea what that means. But <laughs> um, so it sounds like your your seeding is determined by by net rankings, right? So think of it this way, right? Uh, let's say GCU goes GCU goes twelve and six. And Sam Houston also goes 12 and six and they have the same record for what would be the two seed, but Sam Houston is ranked higher because they have a higher Ken Palm because they beat Oklahoma three months ago. And then they get the two seed and we get the three seed. And what that means is before we have to go play them, we now have to play an extra game against six seeded Utah Valley. Um, And I just think that's kind of crazy. I think the whole format of the tournament's bonkers this like, king of the hill nonsense um i get why they do it in the west coast conference i think in the whack uh it's stupid and i hate it um i don't know i don't know how you feel. i haven't we haven't really talked about this i don't know how you feel about i think i think it is pretty dumb as well it, it's just not it's not as fun and and i'm seeing a lot of conferences go towards this i even think that the acc also does a similar format i could be super wrong kind of. no they but, do they do a kind of similar format Regardless, I think this whole using net rankings or using Ken Palm rankings or using a combination of net and Ken Palm ranking, that, that's just asinine. Why Here's even what... play a conference schedule if all that matters is how you do in your net rankings? And your now, obviously, you have to play the games to you know get those metrics to see like where you're going to land in the net rankings. But essentially this is what it's saying. Okay. Is imagine um, just, just to be devil's advocate. Okay. Both GCU and, um, or let's say this GCU loses two conference games, right? Sam Houston loses three conference games. Traditionally GCU would be the one seed. Sam Houston would be the two seed. Because GCU has a better whack record. Now, what this is doing is saying, okay, like you had said with like the Oklahoma win for for Sam Houston, including the non-conference in, into the criteria or into the equation, but also imagine this. So GCU has two losses. Sam Houston has three losses, okay? Now, GCU has won every single their, one of their wins by five to 10 points. Okay. 
on the flip side, Sam Houston could have won all of their games by 10 to 20 points. And so those wins look better than GCU's wins. And that would put essentially, or at least theoretically, Sam Houston as the one seed because regardless of their their record, their wins are more convincing and they have better metrics than GCU. So almost at least when two teams are comparable and close in record, it's not going to matter as much as the metric, which is kind of bizarre and also really stupid in my opinion. Yeah. It, this has never been done before. Right. I I completely agree. Uh, I do want to add one more devil's advocate point, which is particularly important this year, and that is this. Um, I believe... I believe we don't play every team twice. We don't, and that might play into it. And what that means is that we actually have something we have to deal with that we've never had to deal with before, which is there's actually an in-conference strength of schedule. The argument can be made that, well, two teams had the same record, so-and-so had a harder record because GCU had to play Abilene Christian twice and someone else didn't, right, is, is something that can be said. GCU had to play New Mexico State twice, but... Stephen F. Austin only had to play them once at home. Now, I don't know if that's the case. That's a hypothetical. But sure. that's the situation we find ourselves in, right? GCU only plays Seattle U once, and it's on the road. If we have the same record as Seattle, and they have the head-to-head because we only played them once on the road, it's going to be really upsetting. And so to say, like, oh, well, GCU actually has the higher net ranking. We're actually going to put them ahead. I think I think makes up for that thing. Um, sure. I guess that's an explanation. I, I guess I... I yeah. But I, but I can see why. The other thing, too, and and I think this is the origins of it with – I think the West Coast Conference is really the ones that started this ridiculous level of scaffolding the tournament. Because like you said, the ACC has that, but their format is they have the top four teams advance to the third round and then teams five through eight advance to the second round and then teams like nine through 15, like the rest of the teams play in the first round. So there's just one extra buy. But the West Coast Conference literally has like – you don't play till the semifinals, um, which which I think is is crazy. But but the reason why that that has been said is it's pretty evident in the West Coast Conference who is going to the NCAA tournament. Eh, and maybe so, not so much this year. Maybe not so much. And, and in years future, it's changed, right? In that, like, it's pretty. It's been pretty clear. Gonzaga is going to win the West Coast Conference. Now they're they're kind of like rocky this year. So like I don't know, like maybe not. But like in years past, we're like they're undefeated. It's like hey, we're not going to actually make them play Portland State and then San Francisco and then play BYU in Santa Clara. We're just going to have them skip all that nonsense and just have them play BYU in Santa Clara, the teams that actually matter, right? There's no reason to have them play these two extra games against teams they're going to own. And there's no reason to have Santa Clara go play Pepperdine and in San Diego. They're just going to blow them out, right? So, mm-hmm. and I think that the, West Coast Conference has more parity, but I also think the WAC has a lot of parity. And I think I think that what this does is it creates a situation where it is more likely that the best team or a better team is the team representing your conference at the tournament. In that uh it is with a traditional bracket format like we've had in the past. So like for example, the eight team bracket where it's just a regular quarterfinals. Uh Eight seeded, who's going to be the eight seed? Eight seeded, I was going to say UTRGB, but they're not going to be that high. Um, 
Eight-seeded Cal Baptist in that other bracket would have to win the same number of games as like the one seed. And in a year like this, they totally could, right? If if you have eight-seed Cal Baptist playing outright against one-seed Sam Houston, there's totally a world that Cal Baptist could win that game in that like, I don't think there's a world that eight-seeded uh, the eight-seeded Portland is going to beat Gonzaga. Um, and I think what that does is then to say, like, well, we're actually going to make Cal Baptist, we're going to make them play UTRGV, and then we're going to make them play Utah Valley. And then if they win both of those games, then they get to play a Sam Houston team that hasn't played all weekend uh, to, like, protect the teams with the better records, I think is boring. Like, I think it's boring. And I don't like it. Not, not only boring, but also I feel like it's a little... <sighs> shysty maybe um obviously like you had said these conferences are looking to have their best team represented in the tournament because obviously if your teams win in the tournament it looks better for you as a conference now the fact that the ncaa would approve these bracket formats is wild to me yeah it's just it's it's honestly sad for basketball in my opinion maybe i'm overreacting who's to say here's the thing though when it comes to using the net rankings or the ken palm rankings or the combination of both to seed the teams why 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 are we using metrics from the non-conference schedule to play into how things play out in the conference and you had also said you had mentioned the the fact that we don't play everybody twice and maybe this could help us figure out who is the better team and and where we need to seed teams because of that matter well why not just do it based off of record and then if there's tie breaks that need to happen then you can use ken palm or, or net rankings or a combination of both yeah it's I don't know. I'm not happy about it now. We'll see how it is when we uh, when we get to March. It's one of those things where, subjectively speaking, like, is this tournament format, does this tournament format make it more likely that GCU will be the WAX representative? Possibly. Um, but I think objectively, as, like, a fan of college basketball, I don't like conferences doing this. I want to see... I want to see the games the way they should be. I want to see the one seed play the eight seed. I don't want to see the eight seed play the five seed and then the four seed and then the one seed. And it's lame. 100%. It's yeah, it is lame. And and when it comes down to it, do you feel like, do you feel like your team really accomplished winning a tournament when they only played two games in it? No, it just, it feels like, yeah, I guess here's the deal, right? Like imagine. So like, think about the, the, like, Think about, like, the Dan Marley years. So, like, imagine if this format was there then. Uh, I think what it would have done is, like, I remember thinking in those tournaments, like, GCU would be the two-seed and we're playing seven-seeded, like, UMKC, right, who's no longer in the conference. And it would just be like, yeah, I know the Lopes are going to win this game. And I know we're going to probably win the next game too against Utah Valley or Seattle. And then we're probably not going to beat New Mexico state. So I think like in a world where we can just say like, we're just skipping all the nonsense and you're getting straight to the semis. So you can figure out who's going to lose to New Mexico state. I think like five years ago, I would have been like, yeah, that streamlines a process for a situation where we already know the outcome. But I think in a situation where like the outcome is, in this year, very unclear. 
Uh, I think it creates like a ludicrous level of unfair advantages. And then what's actually the craziest thing is those unfair advantages are not even necessarily gained by performing better in conference play, rather some other metric, right? So you're using a metric that is not conference record <clears throat> to determine which team is granted significant, potentially more or less significant advantages in a postseason bracket to determine who gets to go to March Madness. And I think I think that's crazy, and I don't like it from a fan's perspective. I understand it from the conference's perspective, but I but I don't like it. I think I know the answer to this already, but I'm going to ask it anyways, and I'm going to do the research following this recording. In every single conference in Division One basketball, does every single team qualify for their conference tournament? No. No. I thought in, it was going to be a yes. In the Ivy League, only the top four make it. Okay. Any other leagues in the Ivy League? Because the Ivy I League believe, is a little bit special. I believe that is the only exception. Okay. Yeah. Um, I guess the format may be a byproduct of the fact that we just have more teams in the conference now. Yeah. And I'm also trying to think whether or not having, you know, maybe first round buys for the top four seeds or something like that, instead of having first, second, third, and fourth round buys for the top four seeds or top two seeds, yeah. whether or not which one of those formats has more games. Cause then you got to think about how much they're paying officials to come out and referee games and how, how much money they have to pay the venues to, to host games at them. So the, the, those might factor in. I, I'm going to be looking at that to see. So it's the same number of games. Is it um, really? Regardless of how, yeah. It would have to be, right? Because you have, you, you, you have to have the same number of games actually played. But think about, and maybe this is like, maybe this is another thing that I, I think like, man, I would just, I, I don't know if I like this. Um, the quality, you, the argument can be made that the quality of each game is better, right? Rather than, for example, like, look at the West Coast Conference. Rather than having Gonzaga just beat the brakes off of Portland and St. Mary's just, like, I'm trying to think of who else is, like, terrible in that conference. Just, like, absolutely smoke Pepperdine, you know? Pacific. What you actually have is, but yeah, Pacific's pretty bad. You have the opportunity for, like, Pepperdine to play Pacific, right? And then, like, Portland to play Santa Clara. And then there's the hope of, like, wouldn't it be cool if Portland won this game? Or, like, this is a game that's actually close. And then what you get is a good basketball game instead of Gonzaga just owning those teams. Fair. Um, And so that argument, I think, can be made. But I think with the whack this year, that's a non-factor. Because I think, and like I've said, right, if we have a 12-team a bracket, which I know we have 11 eligible teams. So let's say we have like an 11 team bracket, right? So there's uh, the top four seeds get a buy and the, the five seed gets a buy as well because there's no 12 seeds. So the top five seeds get a buy, six plays 11, seven plays 10, eight plays nine. And then it's just a traditional quarterfinals, right? I don't know that the quality of games would be any worse than if we did it the traditional way because I think that the average like, the quality of team from the one seed to the eight seed is not very big. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm looking at how many games we would play in the in the current format. It'd be one, two, three, four, seven, eight, nine games in the current format. Yeah, it would have to be the same no matter what. I mean, think about it this way, right? Uh, how many teams are eliminated in each game? One. One. So how many teams are in the tournament? Eleven? Yes. Twelve? So there's, so there's eleven games. You're right. You're right. No, no matter what. I mean, like. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, The quality of games I, I can see being improved. It's just, it's weird. I, I don't like, I feel like I'm the guy who's like, you know how when you watch an NFL game and a team like goes for it on fourth and goal and doesn't get it. And then like the, the announcer starts like complaining about these like newfangled analytics. I feel like we're those guys right now. I mean, like, I can't believe, like, math is ruining college basketball because, like, generally speaking, like, I kind of like algorithms and I think they're really helpful and I really like the Ken Palm rankings. But, like, <laughs> like they kind of are ruining college basketball. Like, this is lame. I hate it. Yeah, it, it, it kind of takes away from, from the regular season, in my just opinion. Put every team, just make the NCAA tournament this style, right? Well, just and give- also, yeah, no, 100%. But also, here's, here's another thing is, um, oh, shoot, I just lost my train of thought. Oh yes, I'm curious to see how much different the rankings will, or not the rankings. The yeah, no, the rankings will be when it comes to them determining the seating versus what the standings end up end up being. Yeah, like I I could see maybe a couple teams being flipped, but honestly, it might just be pretty run of the mill of what it would have been anyways. That could be a scenario that we'll we'll run into. Especially, I mean, Ken Palm rankings tend to be pretty good about that. Yeah. Like, I trust that algorithm to to be pretty standard in that, like, well, but even then, so, like, yeah, like, so, like, Seattle U right now is the second best record in the WAC. Like, let's say, like, genuinely speaking, like, let's say Seattle wins one more game than New Mexico State. I think, and then, like, if net ranking says, like, no, New Mexico State's better, so we're actually going to flip them, even then I would think, like, yeah, it's like it's like the college football playoff argument of, like, yeah, I agree that New Mexico State is better, but Seattle had a better record, and they should be the higher seed, right? It's like the same argument as, like, yeah, Alabama would beat TCU, but TCU should be in. So it's, it's this, like, same thing, um, I think, of, like, using the, the metrics. I don't know. I, I just don't like it. Uh, but I guess, I mean, like, it's always been happening, right? Like, they've been using it for at-large bids, and, and every year there's there's teams that probably should have gotten in that don't, and there's teams that probably um, shouldn't have made it that do, and that's that's just the nature of, of sports. Um, or that's the nature of sports that have, like, a committee. And I guess with, like, a tournament this massive, any, any situation where there's at-large bids, I guess that's just the way it goes. Um, but I, I think part of what makes it hard, too, in the WAC is that we have teams that aren't eligible for conference play and we have an odd number of teams we have both an odd number of teams in the conference and an odd number of teams that are comp that are tournament eligible so any format we do is kind of already going to be wonky um so i don't know maybe i'm over exaggerating maybe i'm making this thing out to be like worse than it's going to be but like yeah i guess like if i go to like if we watch back black vegas and i have to watch like who are like the two worst teams that are eligible? 
if I have to watch like Southern Utah and like UTRGV play in the first game, you're like, not gonna watch it. No, I will, but <laughs> that's the thing. Like, I, <laughs> I totally will, and I'll and not only will I watch it, I'll like it, and that's what's annoying. Sure, sure. Is like I'll be like, and you know what's funny is I actually love watching conference tournaments. I think it's one of my favorite things. One of my favorite tournaments is the Southern Conference because there's a lot of teams there that yeah. I truly like. But I, I like those games and I like thinking like, yo, this this 14 win team just beat this 17 win team. And that's awesome. And like their season's over tomorrow when they when they have to play a good team. But like, that's cool. And like, I don't know, maybe it's that like maybe that's the thing is like more teams are winning games. Like how many teams win a game in Whack Vegas? Previously four. Now it'll be eight, you know, eight teams yeah. will win a game. Um. So I don't know. Like, I genuinely don't know. I don't know what what to say. Um, I guess to, to some extent, I kind of just need to see it. I think I have for for all the reasons we've just said. I have I have hesitations for why I'm maybe not thrilled about it. My my thought and hope is that it probably won't actually matter. In that, I'm hoping that whatever rankings they use are pretty similar to standings. And I hope that it doesn't come into play as far as the formatting goes. I guess we'll just have to see it play out. I think it is a formatting that, like we said, it, it benefits the top teams and it does, and it hurts the lower teams. And the point of that is so that the conference gets the teams they want in. And as a fan of a team that I expect to be towards the top of the table, it's going to benefit GCU, um, which I guess is cool for the lope slopes up. But I think objectively is, is kind of lame. And I think that's like, that's all I have for, for sure. that. Sure. I think we're pretty much in agreement there. Yeah. Uh, is there anything else you got for, for the podcast, sir? Well, so they announced the college football playoff today. <laughs> you wanted to get into that. I knew it. I knew it. Yeah. I have one question for you. Okay. Did the committee get it right? Well, I want to say this before I say that or answer that question. I was I was in Kalispell, Montana for my basketball trip on Friday night. We were staying at a hotel as a team. And uh I went down to the breakfast room around 10 30, 11 while the kids were getting ready for bed. And uh that's when I finally got to check and see some college football scores. And I see that USC took a beat down from Utah. And I, I texted Austin and I oh, said yeah. We are legitimately one TCU loss away from Alabama being in the college football playoff. Yeah. And we, we were both just like, this can't be happening. This can't be happening. Yeah. Um, I see the rationale for, for what they have. I don't think that Alabama was deserving. I know that every single Alabama fan is going to say like, yeah, we, we lost two games against really good teams by a combined, what? three to four points on the road. Um, there's no way that TCU should have been on in over us. Well, TCU and Alabama had one... Um, they had one similar opponent, and that was um, Texas. Yeah. Alabama's game against Texas was, you know, towards the beginning of the season, but Quinn Ewers, the quarterback for Texas, left that game early with an injury. And Alabama had to kick a field goal at at the buzzer to win that game. 
Um, yeah, that was a crazy game. On the flip side, now now keep in mind that game was in Austin, Texas. TCU also played Texas in Austin, Texas. Um, you know, midseason opportunity for Texas to you know keep their big ten, their Big Twelve championship hopes alive, and TCU went in there and they kind of handled them. Now the score doesn't reflect the fact that they handled them, but it was a two score game, two touchdown game late in the game. TCU had the ball and Texas got a scoop and score. Aside from that scoop and score, Texas had a field goal and that was it. Yeah. So I think I think TCU obviously you know losing the Big 12 championship was not the way they wanted to go. However, Kansas State's a good squad. It's hard to beat the same team twice, especially in an emotional one like that when, you know, it's a win or, you know, possibly miss the college football playoff situation. Excuse me. Yeah. But I I I do think that the the committee got it right. What is your opinion? I agree. Uh I I think uh I think that generally speaking, someone said this and I I kind of like it. Um, in response to the Alabama th- thing, uh, if we're going to like give you some sort of credit for having close losses against good teams, then I think we also have to kind of penalize you for having close wins against bad teams. Of hey, which there Alabama you go. Has several. So like to say like, well, we only lost by a collective four against two good teams. Like, yeah, you also like had single digit wins against some garbage teams and their schedule like isn't great and i know it's like oh they're in the sec it's like the craziest conference ever they it's not it's not like it is the sec is the best conference it's not that great of a schedule i think and i think like big games they played they lost so like what so like what are we talking about here now now do i think alabama is probably better than tcu yeah no question tcu got in i'm really i i am I, I'm really surprised, and this is where I, I kind of wondered. I'm surprised that they put TCU at three and Ohio State at four. I kind of thought that would be flipped, but I also kind of think that it makes sense given um you uh they don't want to just give you I, I don't know, like the Michigan, I am more inclined to watch Michigan TCU and Georgia Ohio State than Georgia beat TCU by 50 and watch a Michigan Ohio state game that I saw two weeks ago. Well, yeah, exactly. And that's what it comes down to is I think, and they even talked about it on the, on the selection show was it's almost penalizing Michigan for playing in a conference championship to have to go and play the team that they hate more than anybody else who has been sitting at home for the last week, um, stewing over a loss to them and then having to go play them again. Yeah. To have Ohio State play Michigan in back-to-back games. That's just I don't know that any Yeah. I don't I don't think anybody would want to see that. But I think what we get now because TCU's 3 and Ohio State's 4 is we get two games and I I can't I can't say that they'll be good. They might both be blowouts. I don't know. But we get two games that are interesting to me. More interesting than if the rankings were flipped, followed by the game we deserve, which is Georgia and Michigan, which are the two undefeated teams that are clearly the best two teams in the country. So I I think that we get a really good product because Ohio State's four and TCU's three. Um, I think the result would have been the same, which is it's going to be Georgia, Michigan. But well, I don't know. I I could see Ohio State like beating Michigan. The revenge game, you know. 
Yeah, it's hard to beat a team twice. Did you hear it? They were, um, oh man, I was watching a game where they were, yeah, <laughs> Utah, USC, and they were talking about like it's hard to because USC's only losses to Utah, they lost by one point to Utah. Yep. Um, and so they were talking about like it's hard to beat a team. Time with Danian Thomason was there, and he's like, no, it's not. And he just like went on a rampage about how like Utah's just better, and then Utah won by like 25. And I was just <laughs> losing my mind. Um, just thinking about that after I didn't watch the game, but I watched like the that yeah. and I was like, oh man, this is yeah, great. I have I have no I have no sorrow for USC losing that game. I I had no I did not know anything about Caleb Williams other than the fact that he came into that Sooners game last year and led that comeback against Texas. But um, as soon as I saw his stupid fingernails, I was just like, yeah, this this kid can lose. I don't mind that. So, yeah, it's kind um, of tough. Now, the real question is, am I going to spend three hundred dollars to go see TCU in Michigan in Phoenix? See, that was the thing that I was going to ask because. I didn't even realize that that was the Fiesta Bowl until Fiesta like Bowl. last night. No- last night, I was, and I was like, go. "I was like, hey, because I'm actually gonna be down in Phoenix for oh, for that week." And I was like, I actually texted Austin, and I was like, "What are the chances that you can get your hands on some some Fiesta Bowl tickets? Because I would not mind going." Um, yeah, I've been actually wanting to go to the Rose Bowl for years now, and it just uh, hasn't happened yet. And- on Penn State, right? Is that the Rose Bowl this year? Yeah, unfortunately, it's on Probably the second year. of January. Oh, so, I would have I would have actually considered it if it was on the first this year, but that's on a Sunday, and you know the NFL rules all. So, yeah, the NFL don't even get me started. But yeah, yeah. anything Man. else for the pod, Zach? Um, no, not really. Um, all rest right. in peace, rest in peace, United States people watching uh, soccer. We'll see you in four years. Um, yeah, I, I was gonna say probably a little optimistic there to think that we could beat Netherlands. I don't know. I I don't. I didn't know watch much of that. it, but that's okay. Yeah, they 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 did exactly what they wanted to, but it was it was yeah sure. But so GCU right. looking ahead has uh, on Wednesday against Loyola Marymount that that makeup game that we you know had postponed earlier in the season, and then uh, Saturday the game at the footprint center against Ken Palm 65, North Texas. That could be a nice one to uh, pick up a win with. So, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah so if you're, uh, if you're following us on Twitter, feel free to ask us questions throughout the week. We're typically going to be recording episodes on Sundays or Monday nights. So we'll uh, let you know when you can hit us up with, with listener questions. Hope that we got those those all ironed out for you this week, but um, we're just looking forward to, to talking again. So until next time, lopes up. Lopes up.